when we live our lives, we affect not only ourselves, but other people as well. Uh, we live in a society that a lot of people believe that I can do whatever I want to myself and it doesn't cause any ill effects to other people. Uh, but while there's some things that that is true, for the most part, it's not true. Okay, And sometimes the choices that we do and, and we make and we live, they affect other people in a passive way. And this is what I mean by that. If I get into my car and I choose to drive according to the uh, rules of the road, then passively, I've not endangered other people, whether they're walking on the sidewalk or whether they're driving in their own vehicles. I, but if I choose to get in my car and drive recklessly, uh, I not only put myself in danger, uh, but other people as well. I might cause a wreck. I might hit somebody that's walking on the sidewalk, okay? And so when we choose to live our lives according uh, to the forms of society, we passively are making decisions that affect other people. And so I want to kind of think about this concept in a spiritual sense, because I think spiritually this is true as well. You know, when we live our lives spiritually according to the way God has uh, prescribed in the Bible, we passively affect those around us, uh, maybe even the people that come after us. And so uh, to kind of understand this concept a little bit, I have these three chairs. All right. So, Sierra, are you listening? All right. She was curious. All right. So these three chairs and I want to kind of label them and, and kind of give a name for them. OK, so this chair right here is going to represent someone who is on fire for God. All right, someone who is totally dedicated, under, doesn't necessarily know everything that's in the Bible, but understands there is a right way to live and a wrong way to live, and generally in their lives lives according to that. Doesn't mean they're perfect, right, but it does mean that they are trying to do the will of God in their lives. Then we get to this middle chair, and this middle chair for us is going to be the meh chair. All right, it's going to be the chair of someone who knows what's right or wrong, understands the Bible, maybe even comes to church every Sunday, maybe even gives some of their money during the tithes portion. All right, but when they leave the church building, they're meh. You know, they, they, they may or may not choose to live their lives. Maybe they leave their Bibles in the pew seat so they know where they're sitting next week. Or maybe they leave it in their glove compartment so that they have it when they arrive Sunday morning. Right, and so that's what this kind of, it's just someone that's, eh, they could give it, give or take less or more, depending on how they feel that day. Then we get to this last chair, and this last chair is going to be our people who are cold, all right, people who do not care about the Bible at all, who do not care about God. They may come to church on, on special holidays, uh, but for the most part, they're fine not going to church, and they may never even heard of God either, or Jesus, all right, and so these are our three chairs, and, and what we see that kind of happens uh, is that these chairs kind of progress along generations. And what I mean by that is this. Usually, if someone is in this chair and they have kids, their kids more often than not end up over in this chair. And they have kids, and more often than not, their kids end up over here. Right, we see this in the Bible. You know, we see this in the book of Joshua. See, in Joshua, at the very end, Joshua gathers all of the people of Israel. And Joshua says, hey, you guys need to choose who you're going to serve. 
And he tells them about the blessings of the law, and he tells them about the cursings of the law. And he says, choose. You know, Joshua, even to some, says, I don't care who you choose, just choose. And the Israelites say, we choose God. And in Joshua chapter 24, verse 31, we read this verse. It says, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, who had experienced everything that the Lord had done for them. And so what we see is Joshua and the people of Israel, they're sitting in this chair during his lifetime. But then we get to Judges, the very next book. And in Judges chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we read this. It says, the Israelites lived among these six people groups. And God had told them to get rid of them, but they didn't do it. And they lived amongst these people groups, and they married their daughters, and they gave their daughters away in marriage. And it says that they served not the Lord God Almighty, but the gods of these six people groups. So within just a couple of generations, Israel went from here all the way to this chair over here. But there's this generation in between. And you can kind of see it here. See, God said, get rid of the people. Don't don't marry them. Don't let them live with you, because if you do that, you're going to follow their gods. God knew what he was talking about. And this generation, they had seen the way their parents lived, And then they looked at the beautiful women that were being produced by the other people groups, and they said, oh, we don't care about that rule. And then they gave their children away in marriage. And what eventually happened was they in Israel found themselves here, not serving God at all. We see it in great families like David. See, David is called a man after God's own heart. He was the greatest king of Israel. And when David served God, he served him faithfully. He wasn't perfect. We just have a a small view of his imperfection. But he was faithful to God in what he did. Every king after David was compared to David based on his faithfulness. David had a son who was king named Solomon. And Solomon, he built a great temple to God. But he also married a thousand women. And he built temples to their gods as well. And Solomon, yes, he knew what was right and wrong. Yes, he did some good things for God. But for the most part, he was meh. Then he had a son named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam wasn't faithful at all. And in fact, Rehoboam did not listen to God to the point that it divided the kingdom of Israel in half. We see it in families even as great as Abraham. Abraham, this great man of faith that everyone throughout the rest of the Bible is compared to. I mean, even greater than David. God said to Abraham, leave everything. And Abraham left everything, family, friends, everything he knew. And he went to where God told him to go. And he didn't know where that was going to be, but that's where he went. And he was faithful. Wasn't perfect. Wasn't sinless, but faithful. And he had a son named Isaac. And Isaac's not really talked about much in the Bible. Why not? When we look in Hebrews chapter 11, that talks about all the great men of faith. We have Abraham, who has many, many verses uh, dedicated to him. And then we get Isaac with one verse. And then we look at Isaac's children. 
Esau, Jacob. And Esau was not godly in any way, shape, or form. And Jacob, when you look at his early life, he wasn't much better than Esau. The only reason Jacob ends up back over here is because he encounters God himself. And we see this cycle over and over again in the Bible. But maybe we even see it in our families. (coughs) I can see it in my family. My grandma and grandpa. Great men and women of God. Serving him as best as they could. Having people stand up in their funeral and tell how much they've influenced their lives. Going to church on a regular basis. Doing what God had asked them to do. Then we look at my mom's generation. And yeah, my mom goes to church. None of her other siblings do. And I look at my generation, and besides myself, you know, my brother is outside of Christ. My cousin as well. What about your family? It seems that there's this cycle that goes over and over again. And for me as a parent, this is scary. Because I feel like I'm right here. I hope I'm right here. And I look at my kids and I hope to God that they don't end up right here. And my grandkids, I definitely don't don't want them over there. So how do we break this? How does this not become our story? Well, I think there's an answer to that. I think the Bible gives it to us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we come across a great passage of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is in the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Bible. And and it's uh, part of the Pentateuch, the five books that are written by Moses. Uh, You can kind of guess that. Penta means five. Tuch means scroll. And this is the fifth one. And and Deuteronomy chapter 6 is essentially a part of this last sermon that Moses is going to give. See, the Israelites had been asked to go into the promised land, and they said, no, we're not going to do that. And so God said, okay, well, you're going to wander around for 40 years. And so they wander around, they come to the land across the Jordan, and they're about to enter into the promised land. And Moses stands up, and he gives this one last encouragement sermon, telling them, reminding them of what God has commanded them to do. And in the midst of that, we read these words from Moses. These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy a long life. See, Moses starts off in this very beginning of this chapter explaining this cycle a little bit. And he says, you know what? There is a way for you and your children and your children's children not to be here, but to be fearing God. It's a great encouragement. And as we read this, we see Moses kind of explain how it is we can pass on the faith that saves he will use a bunch of if-then statements. All right, and we're going to look at these if-then statements. The if-then statement in this passage is really easy. If you obey all that God has commanded you. See, here is, I think, the issue. 
See, I think for far too long, even as we sit in this chair trying to be faithful, recognizing we're not perfect, we have picked and choose which commands we will follow. And the problem with that is this. When your kids are looking at you, and they see that you choose not to do this or that, they recognize that it's okay for them not to do that. Same thing. And on top of that, they choose not to follow other rules themselves. And that's why they're here. And then their children are looking at all that you two are doing, and they're like, you know what? I don't want to do any of it. I want to stop pretending. So when we talk about this cycle and having our children and our children's children fearing the Lord like we do, it starts with us. Obey all the Lord has commanded. See, we don't get to pick and choose what we think we're supposed to do. We don't get to say, you know what, I really don't like that verse. I'm not going to follow it. That's not how it works. If we really want this cycle to be broken, if we really want this cycle not to even exist in our families, it starts with the way we live. Am I obeying all? So that's the first part. If you obey all, It is going to go well, and your children and your children's children will fear the Lord. Verse 3, Moses continues, he says, Hear, Israel, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God has promised you. And so here's the other if-then statement. It's still kind of the same thing. Obey the commands, but he says, be careful. It's what we tell our children, right? When they're walking along the edge and they're about to fall, what do you say to them? Be careful. For me, it's when Micah is carrying a plate of food from the kitchen to the dining room. And I definitely don't want him to spill in the middle of the living room. Be careful, Micah. Pay attention. See, the world in which we live, they have no problem with sin. Sin isn't an issue. Sin is okay to do. And when you're living in a world that it thinks it's okay to sin, you must be careful. Pay attention. Don't just live your life, because if you live your life, however, you're going to end up looking like everybody else. Be careful. And if you're careful... It's going to go well for you. Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter four or verse six, chapter six, verses four and five, uh, the central focus of this entire passage. He says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength." And this is the central focus of this entire passage. It's the most important thing that we have to understand. And again, it's reminding us that the way we break this cycle starts with ourselves. And I think the reason why 
we aren't careful, and the reason why we don't necessarily obey all that God has commanded is because we fail to love God with all aspects of who we are. See, I think if we love God with everything we are, obedience becomes a natural thing, an easy thing. I think of it this way. I, I love my family. I, I, I love my daughters. And I would do anything for my sons and daughters. Uh, the other day, my daughter and I were at Walmart by ourselves, and we were picking up two items. And so, uh, because we only had two items, it was going to be quicker to go through the, the, the self-checkouts. Otherwise, it's going to take an hour. And so we were going through the self-checkout, and my daughter looks up at me and says, can I go play in the play place? And I said, sure, it's right across the way. I'll, I'll finish checking out. You go over there. I'll, I'll see you there in a second. And when I got there, she comes up to me with a quarter in her hand and her big blue eyes, and she says, is this enough to ride a ride? No, it's not, unfortunately. 50 cents nowadays. And I look at her and said, no, I, it's not, darling, but you know what? I have a dollar. And I pull out this dollar, and I go to the coin machine, and it doesn't work. And so I'm like, well, you can't really ride a ride. She goes, well, can we play this game? And she's been asking to play these games where you get the stuffed animals, and they rip you off because they steal your money. All right, she, they, she's been asking this for about two months, and every time I say no, it steals your money. But I love my daughter. And it's just me and her. And so I say, sure, why not? And we put our money in, and we win two stuffed animals somehow. <laughs> and I have no idea how I'm going to be able to tell her, no, it steals your money now. So, <clears throat> But the point is, is, even though I didn't want to, even though I knew I did not like those games, I still played them. And when we love God with all we are, no matter the ridicule that we get from the world, no matter how much they point and laugh at us, no matter how much inside us we do not want to do what God is asking us to do, we do it still because we love Him. Not just with our hearts, but with our soul and all of our being. And I think the reason why we are not careful and why we pick and choose which commands to follow is because once we leave these doors, we do not love God with all aspects. And if we want this cycle to be done, if we want our children to be sitting here with us, it starts with us. Do you love God with all of who you are? Moses continues by giving us examples on how to do this in verses 6 through 9. He says, these commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Again, starting with us. And then he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And what Moses says is this, you must talk to your kids about it. See, if we go about life trying to be faithful to God and we ignore telling our kids why we are doing what we're doing, 
and why it's important for them to do it as well. They end up over here. And because they never learned from their parents how to do it, they, their kids end up over here. It starts with you being faithful. But from there, you must be the one to talk to them. See, the church had this brilliant idea in the 70s and 80s. They decided to add a staff member. And the staff member would be dedicated towards one group of people, the youth. And we called them the youth minister. And parents thought this was an excellent idea. So they brought their kids to church. And they let the youth minister teach them about God. And the parents said, they got it. We don't have to do anything. But there's a problem. See, there are 168 hours in a week. And if you bring your kids to church, on average, one hour out of every week, that's as much God as they're getting. One hour out of 168. And it's not enough. And so the primary person in teaching your kids about God, in teaching your grandkids about God, is not the church. It is not me, the pastor, the preacher. It is not the youth minister that we're hiring. It is not the Sunday school teachers that they go to. The primary person in telling your kid about God and impressing upon them the importance of following his commands is you. The parents. The grandparents. Moses tells us how to do it. Talk to them when they're tucking them in bed. When you're giving them a kiss goodnight, talk to them about following God. Talk to them about why it's important in your life. Talk to them about your mistakes and how God forgave you of them. When you're at the breakfast table or the dinner table, talk about God. When you're walking along the way, when you're in your car, show them the majesty of who God is. It's all around you. Tell them about who made the trees and the birds and the sky and the sunsets. Impress upon them the majesty of who God is. And when you do that, when you begin to tell them about God and how important it is, and they see your faith not just on Sunday morning in the pew next to you, when they see your faith outside of church, then they don't want to be over here. They want to be where you are. You have to talk to them. Impress it upon them. It's not our job as ministers to do this. It's your job as parents. And grandparents, you can do this still. You can do this with your grandchildren. More than likely, they come over to your house at least once. Maybe they even spend the night. And as you're tucking them in bed, you can tell them that Jesus loves them. We can all do this. And we need to do this. Because when we look at the church, we see that this model of ministry, this having the youth minister be in charge, it doesn't work. 
When we look at the generation, my generation, that's not here. Why are they not here? Because you're here. You probably have kids that are in that generation or grandkids. Why are they not here? It's not because of the youth minister. It's because we as a church have taken power away from you as parents. And you need to have that power given back. You need to understand that you are the primary influencer in their lives. And that if you don't do it, they're going to end up over here. And I hope that that's not what you desire for your kids and grandkids. Moses continues in in verses uh, 10 and 12. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into a land, He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities uh, that you did not build and houses filled with all kinds of goods that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful, that word again, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of slavery. And what Moses here is starting the next if-then statement. If, when you enter into that land, and it's going to be a gorgeous land, the Israelites didn't have to build the cities they're going to live in, they didn't have to clear the fields, it's all going to be there for them. He says, when you get there, don't forget about God. And in verses 13 and 16, he says, here's what happens if you, fear, if you forget about God. He says, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, take your oaths in his name. Do not follow the other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. And so what we see here is Moses say, if you go in there and you're satisfied and you forget about God and you're not careful about that, then bad things are going to happen. See, we as human beings, we desire to worship something. And if we forget about God and what He has done, we end up worshiping other things. Maybe not idols on our mantle. Maybe it's things that we hold in our hands, like our phones or the TV. And we worship it by devoting our time to it rather than God. Maybe it's the money that's in our bank account or our pockets that we worship instead. And we spend as much time in our lives following for things that it gives us. Maybe it's just stuff. And we like to accumulate things. If we forget about God because we're satisfied, we end up worshiping something else. But God says, be careful, don't do that. And then in 17 and 19, the last if-then statement, he says, Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulation and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the sight of God, so that it may go well with you, and you may go, uh, it may go well with you, and you may go into the land that the Lord has promised you, your ancestors, and he will thrust out the people before you. And the last if-then is this. You need to be following God, and if you follow God, then you get this land. This beautiful land that he's promising. It will go well with you in your life. If you start with yourself, then your kids potentially will be here too. See, ultimately, it doesn't matter how much we do. If we sit here and we don't talk, they more likely will end up over here. If we sit here and talk to them, more likely they'll end up here. But everyone makes their own choices. And you could be the greatest parent, talk about God as much as you want. You might still have a kid that ends up over here. It's not your fault. One thing I do know is if we start here in our lives, 
then besides the grace of God, our kids will not end up here. Besides their own encounter with God like Jacob had, they will not end up here. If you sit here and are not faithful outside these walls, your kids will be here at best there more than likely. You need to be people that are following God's commands and sitting here as much as possible and talking to your kids and following all that God has commanded you to do and be careful in your lives. And if you do these things, then your kids will fear God as well. The rest of the chapter, Moses talks about talking to your kids when they ask you questions. When they ask you questions like, Dad, why do we go to church? And Moses says, when they ask you why you're doing these things, you tell them you were once a slave, but now you are free. Son, we go to church because once I was a slave to sin. But Jesus came and he died. And now I am free and I have his righteousness. Dad, why do we take communion son we take communion because it reminds us of the sins that we once had but now we have jesus and because of him we are free dad why do we help that person we help that person because once we were slaves to sin and by the grace of god we have been set free and we need to show the love that god showed us to everyone around us even him See, if you're sitting in this chair and you're living your lives for God, your kids are going to ask questions. And if you're living this life, it is easy to respond. By the grace of God, we sit here. By the forgiveness that we have in the name of Jesus. And because I love Him with all I am, I want to share that with you. Are you sitting here? Are you doing everything in your power to bring your kids here as well? We have to be a church. We have to be parents and grandparents that are talking to our kids about faith. Because if not, then our kids and their kids after them, will not fear the Lord. Let us be the parents that are described here in Deuteronomy 6. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we are amazed at the words and wisdom that Moses passed on to us. Lord, sometimes we fail in this. We fail to talk to our kids about you. We failed to show them the love of Jesus in our lives, in our homes, or in our workplaces. Lord, when we fail, I ask that we can have forgiveness in it. I pray that we will repent and that we'll focus on you. We know that you haven't called us to be perfect, to be able to sit in this chair. But you have called us to be faithful. And Father, in my life, I pray that I am faithful to the point that my kids see it. 
I pray that I'm faithful in talking to them to the point that they will have the faith that saves as well. Lord, I'm grateful for Jesus, the sacrifice that he had on the cross for me to even be able to sit here. I'm grateful for the love that he poured out for us. I'm grateful that I was once a slave, but now I have your righteousness. And I pray, Lord, that I can impart that, impress it upon my children. I ask for your strength and your help in doing this. Amen.